I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing podcasts. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls give me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. I make my sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help was like, like, I wish I wish. And every time we love it, it feels just like Hi, cats and kittens. Welcome to this very lo-fi version of the debrief. I am calling in from Cleveland where I have my, none of my equipment or my soundboard or anything. So I'm fully just holding my phone up to my computer and playing this theme song off of YouTube. I guess this is a good time for me to reiterate that if you are interested in knowing who that artist is or where to find them, their name, the band's name is Quarter Water. Uh, and the song's title is I Wish. And you can go and follow them wherever you follow music. I was very um, tickled to see all of the top comments are folks saying, oh, I came over from the debrief. I came over from listening to Bad Faith. Um, so I also think it's a great song. And they've got some other good songs you might be interested in. And you should check them out. So I know that I skipped our Thursday call and didn't give anybody any notice. I frankly had kind of intended to do a late night one after my flight got in. But with family and hubbub, I lost track of time and didn't end up doing it. And then when I realized I wasn't going to be able to put out a Monday episode anyway, I figured we'll just kill two birds with one stone. So I only have about an hour because I committed to go and see um, the new Whitney Houston movie. But let's get into it. Let me know what's going on with you, what you thought about the last episode, how your holidays were, on, or anything else. Jam. What's going on? Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays. How are you doing? I'm doing particularly well. This is um usually I'm not like a big Christmas per- person, mm-hmm. but this Christmas has uh, been really good. So I've been really excited. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, me and my wife we split up like the holidays. Like Chris- mm-hmm. Christmas is her thing. She's mm-hmm. a re- super Christmas person, and I'm a Thanksgiving guy. So we mm-hmm. pick one of those uh particular holidays with what the family does, and so we had a really good time this year. Though. I'm so glad to hear that. Some yeah. un- unadulterated positivity from Jay. Oh, yeah. Thank can't can't complain. And like, because my birthday is like like a week before Christmas. It was on like the 17th. And we went out karaoke. Uh, did karaoke for the first time. Had a blast. Oh, nice. <laughs> what That's so funny because my go-to karaoke song is I Want to Dance with Somebody, which is really? the name of this Whitney Houston movie. Oh, yeah. Whitney's my favorite singer like all the time. I lo- love, love Whitney. Like, so I did, I did Bobby go-to? Brown. What's your go-to song? Uh, I did Bobby Brown. Well, well, I'll go to Whitney song is saving all my love for you. That's just, like one of the songs I can sing from front to back. That <laughs> one, but, um, oh, it's, it's, it's a classic. Love it. But the song I sang on karaoke, I did, uh, every step, every little step by Bobby Brown. <laughs> Had a nice. blast. Nice. Yeah. I love that. All right. So what's in your mind tonight, Jam? Um, like for this, this always like a great episode, uh, especially anytime you talk about anything like related to like agriculture and shit, you know, I'm always, always uh, happy about that. And I love how Steven always tries to bring it back to the people, um, like mm-hmm. was like Ecuador, right? Like he always, mm-hmm. cause a lot of people, a lot of like the talk around him is just about like his imprisonment and mm-hmm. everything, which is definitely like some, some BS, but I love how he always tries to center it around. Like, look, I'm talking about these people that got, you know, fucked over. Like this is the main this should be the main, you know, like the main concern. If like my my things is secondary, and you know, in comparison, in comparison to them, right, yeah. right, yeah. So about but about outside like of that for the full um like episode, not too much commentary about that, but they get me thinking more so about um how to um how how should, how we should talk about um how should we talk about like agriculture and more like um agriculture more like uh, climate change things like i was trying to think of like um different ways so for us like to message one of the things i was really like thinking about i wanted to ask ask you instead of because a lot of people think when we talk about like climate change they think a lot of like doom and gloom to to a way where it's like it seems unrealistic to people you know mm-hmm. uh, so i was thinking thinking about ways of how we should, should really uh, focus on it is thinking about more towards talking about how it's related to our food source Mm-hmm. You know, talking about um, how extreme weather events is killing, how it's, it's um, creating a lot of crop failure, like here in the states and abroad. You know, like we can even like link it, link it to like some like major crop failure. You know, China 
has been mm-hmm. having, which has been leading, you know, like to the price of wheat and bread, you know, going up, even though we don't have a shortage here, but we'll, we'll sell more, which has increased, you know, increased prices here. Yeah. You know, so we can link climate change to that. And like, like, uh, like, um, temperature, uh, related, like foods, like corn can get too hot, you know, it's going to, or it's going to start to die out. And that's a major food, that's a major food staple here, you know, not, not just for ourselves, but for the yeah. uh, things that we eat, you know, but we don't, people don't really talk about it like in that way. And just other things that people can do, um, you know, like themselves, like starting, um, if you can't, if you can, you know, do a community garden, you know, plant, um, some things yourself, go to like a, a farmer, local farmer's market, all those type of good things. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I remember once talking to somebody, I don't even remember what the context was. Uh, maybe it was in the context of the campaign, being on the campaign trail, but um, a series of uh, Southern more conservative voters who didn't respond well to, you know, especially positively to words like climate change and global warming mm-hmm. and Green New Deal and things like that. But they had a much more visceral experience with the real world effect of climate change because Absolutely. it was like kind of Gulf, Gulf Coast, um, both coastal water level changes and also mm-hmm. some pretty significant fishing changes that had occurred as a oh, consequence yeah. of both water temperature change and deep uh, the deep water horizon oil spill and a bunch of other environmental catastrophes in the area that we all yeah. just kind of collectively forgot about. <laughs> yeah, um, ocean so, health is a big deal, especially for like the Gulf states, like the Gulf of like the Gulf of Mexico and yeah. for the people like in northern around Maine and stuff where we're having like a decline in certain like uh, crabs, like lobsters and like other little fish because a lot of like the coral and other stuff that they eat been dying. Same mm-hmm. thing with like Lake, Lake in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bunch of um, like mussels like that's mm-hmm. been, that's got came over from other ships and they eat a lot of like the plankton and everything that's on the, um, that's on like the, um, the lake floor. And mm-hmm. I, that's killing off a lot of, a lot of fish there. So it's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah. It's kind of wild to think about how in the context of Stephen Donsinger, he can't bring a lawsuit to, and I mean, he obviously did successfully, but he can't, you know, force payment or struggling to force payment on a yeah. lawsuit where there is just this clear evidence that this pollution has caused a loss of life, loss of resources, all of these things for the people in the Amazon and Ecuador. But someone whose livelihood is being lost because of, you know, an oil spill or global warming and stuff can't, you know, there's there's just no recipro- reciprocity. They can come up mm-hmm. to Stephen Donziger and put him in jail for two years because he's successfully litigated the case. All these people, like in a very commercial kind of capitalist context, all these people whose livelihood is being impinged in all of these ways for these corporations can't mm. seem to get a leg up in a legal system. And that's very purposeful. Like the legal system, I cannot express to you enough. It is. Like it, it is just the way that you have to prove causation, the way mm. that you have to pr- like the things that you have to do to prove that your cancer was caused by this disease, that your that, you know, that all of these other factors that exist in the world are responsible for the low harvest of what, whatever maritime good you're, you're collecting. Like it's, it, they make it intentionally difficult mm-hmm. to ever rec- reclaim judgment. And I'm really yeah. dying to get my uh, corporate law professor on because I've never heard anybody explain exactly, walk through all the mechanisms that are in place to prevent you from collecting. Like the way that Don's yeah, was talking bullshit. about the corporate veils and the ability of corporations mm-hmm. to basically deflect to their shell corporations and say you can't get through to where the money is. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. But yeah, I, so that's I do the big bullshit. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I was, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, that's a big bullshit. How like, even if the system rigged against you, then if you do, you got to win. They still not paying. You know, like how that's not, how's that not the bigger story too? Yeah. That like they lost, but they still haven't paid none of the money. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, we'll keep following what's going on in Canada. I mean, Canada is a country that likes to pretend that its shit don't stink and that they never mm-hmm. Native <laughs> Americans, that they're so much better than America. I'm not take away from the things they have. I mean, they do have universal health care and stuff, but like, yeah, they, I, mean, I, I want to see what happens when their kind of PR machine goes up against the reality of, um, you know, these people not being able to get claim, uh, you know, uh, uh, get their get their claim enforced even in a Canadian court. So we'll yeah, see what happens. Real but... shit wasn't fucking with Canada after they start fucking with those people's uh, with the truck convoys start shutting down right. their bank accounts and everything. I'm, yeah, I'm, it's wild that they didn't get a lot of pushback on the global stage from that. But, yeah. 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 Well, look, we'll see what happens. I know there's been some Twitter file developments since last week, too, that I confess that I haven't been following very closely, but I'll get back up to date. But it does seem like there's just a lot of attention being paid now to the 
kind of, I think that what Evan described them as these choke point of all of the, all of the ways that these tech companies have, you know, all of the ways they're empowered to prevent, not just at the censorship level of the way that a Twitter or something does like that, you know, mm-hmm. with the content at the content level rather, but at the um, app level. And that's what happened with yeah. the, the Canadian um, trucker convoy. Right. So I think there's a, an understanding even among people who are more left and liberal leading, um, obviously, you know, Evan's a leftist, that even despite having very left liberal cultural sympathies, we're very much frightened by the implications of the PayPal shutdowns and things like that. Exactly. Like the Twitter files are only making people more hip to that reality. So it's always nice to hear from you, Jim. Thanks for calling in. I most definitely keep it safe. And we'll watch the color purple before the end, end of the year. <laughs> 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 but you, you uh, did you say that you haven't seen it yet? Oh no, no, no! That's, that's one of my maybe my mom's favorite movies. We see it oh, all okay. the time. I just say we got to bubble watch it again before the end of the year. Okay, color rebel rewatch. I admit, I heard somebody was telling me um, my little brother's boyfriend works in um, you know like L.A. movie world, and mm. he was telling me something about there, how there's a new color purple something that's coming out. Is it? Oh, a new movie with Fantasia that's coming out. I don't know how mm. I feel about this. I'm about to say this. that. I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah. another episode. I don't want to hold up the queue. I'm, I'm definitely want to talk to you about that, though. Okay. Yeah, but I don't want to hold up the queue. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll check back in on a different color purple episode. Thanks for calling in, Jan. Keep the faith. Always. All right, Samuel. What's on your mind tonight? Hello. Hello. Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Christmas. How was yours? Um. It was well. It was nice. I didn't do. I didn't do anything for Christmas this year. I had people for Hanukkah. Sometimes I go to my parents on Christmas too, but I didn't this year. But that was right. all just as well. Isn't tonight the um? Isn't the last? Isn't the last day today? Just ended. Just ended. Maybe if we have any people on the West Coast where the sun is still up, it's still the last moments of Hanukkah. But <laughs> over here, it just ended. As the sun goes down, but well, it was happy nice. Well, happy Hanukkah to you and yours. How was it? How was your Thank holiday? You. It was very good. I had just a few friends over. I made latkes, which is my mainly it's an excuse to make latkes because I just love fried foods, and it's really <laughs> a celebration of fried foods. That's actually that's really what it's about. That's the miracle. I um, confess, I ha- I had a latkes made for me last week before I came here, and they were divine i wolfed down more than my share of the plate i confess and took copious notes from the very excellent chef about how to replicate this process myself i don't have high hopes but i'm definitely going to give it a whirl it takes practice it takes practice i've gotten pretty good at it but you you've got to fiddle with it a lot but i uh i figured i might just mention a couple things that maybe you might find interesting and then i have a little crazy announcement Maybe I'll save till last. I have a bizarre announcement for okay. for the Brianna Joy Gray fan community. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just thought I, I I had just a couple little thoughts about about Kanye West. I'm always mm-hmm. like a week or two behind because it takes me a while sometimes to listen. But for, as for the Kanye West thing, I mean, a lot of people had a lot of good comments about it. Mark Lamont Hill, I thought, had very good context. Um, I thought, you know, he's clearly not well, like he's clearly not mentally well. And like, personally, I sort of extend some grace there, even though it's scary to hear some of the things he was saying, like he he's having huge issues and he needs, it just doesn't seem like he's getting the help and guidance that he should, obviously, or, you know, people wouldn't be letting him go out and say, say these things, but yeah. I, it really struck me. I always remember, I always say fame is a deadly disease. Like no one knows how they're going to react when they become famous. And it just messes with people's heads. It really makes your life like unreal. And very few people, it seems, can really manage it, you know, can really kind of hold themselves together at the same time as being a celebrity. So I kept thinking, especially of the contrast with Jay Z. And, you know, I'm not a big hip hop fan. I don't know a lot about it, mm-hmm. but it just happened that a few months ago, I researched about the Holy Grail. That was just a topic I wanted to cover. And 
I, I did a bunch of research and I looked for like modern versions of the Holy Grail myth. So I found that he had this, this album, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. And the first song is called Holy Grail. And it's a very, very interesting song. I mean, I really got into it. Like he's casting the Holy Grail as kind of a representation of fame. And uh-huh. it's like, it's seductive, it's powerful, but it, kind of takes it it's more powerful than the person who possesses it right in a sense it possesses you and he has these this repeating chorus he has justin timberlake come in who is so interesting too because he was like this big flash in the pan celebrity who was like at his height about 10 years ago and has already kind of faded Uh and he he sings this chorus about it's addressing like an imaginary lover like you um let me see. I think I, yeah, I had them here. You, you would take the clothes off my back and I'd let you, you'd steal the food right out of my mouth and I'd watch you eat it. I still don't know why, why I love you so much. And it's like being unable to separate yourself from this powerful lover that will just use you and abuse you and then toss you out. And, and I realized like this is, he's talking to fame. He's talking to celebrity mm-hmm. and how it sort of takes you over. And it seems like Jay-Z has managed to kind of at least maintain some line where he's aware that he himself is not the same thing as his fame. He himself is not the same thing as his public image. He's been able to keep some kind of mental boundary there and to kind of control his image and his fame. That's what it seems like to me. But not everyone can do that. And it just seems to me like Jay-Z, I mean, sorry, I mean, Kanye, I believe he's brilliant. You know, I've always thought he is a genius, but it's like he couldn't manage to, yeah, to maintain a sense of himself and keep it separate from his fame and his image. Well, look, I think it's a little tough to say. I mean, certainly Jay-Z doesn't seem to be having any of the kind of mental health issues that uh, Kanye has, which mm-hmm. is, is exacerbating whatever else is going on inside of it. I mean, it's 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 filtering how we're seeing his beliefs in a way that I think whatever Jay Z believes inside, we just wouldn't know about it because he has more of a filter going on because he has a different kind of cognitive yeah. state than, than Kanye does. But I, I also think, like, look, we know this. There have been studies about how human beings grew up in small communities and it is weird. It it is like um, psychologically um, weighty for us to experience having a friend group of more than like a few hundred people or something. So to get online and to have all of these relationships with thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people, you know, depending on how many folks follow you or how many folks you follow is psychologically taxing in a way that we're only just now beginning to understand. And I can't imagine what it's like for someone like Kanye, whose reach and fame extends so much farther beyond Twitter. So yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a legitimately um, destabilizing situation for anybody to be in, in the best of circumstances. It's like a mentally destabilizing situation for even kind of like the most grounded and, and healthy person. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I don't know. We're all, we're all kind of on, maybe I, maybe I think of it too, because, you know, when you're kind of on the cusp, when you have like a few hundred fans, it's like, wait a second, am I becoming some sort of weird minor celebrity? And is, is my life going to become insane? Uh, But, but one other thing I thought I might just mention as kind of a suggestion is, uh, a perspective. I know that you, you've had conversations before. I don't know if you want to revisit them at all or whatever, but you've had conversations about this idea of race as a social construct. And like, I, I totally, I hear like your frustration that people seem to use that phrase kind of dismissively almost as like, oh, it's just in your head. It's just imaginary and you can just wish it away. Um, and I thought maybe you might if you if you were interested, you might be interested by the perspective of Barbara Fields. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's yeah, she kind of had a her, moment. Yeah, we've talked about her um, 
Actually, she was, she, we talked about a great deal on the podcast, especially in those earlier okay. episodes. Um, I've invited her on. It's difficult. It seems to get a hold of her. I'm not sure she's really doing many interviews these days, but we, we, right, we talked right, about yeah. racecraft, um, maybe not in a while, but mm-hmm. I think we got into it a great deal when we had um, Ian Haney Lopez on maybe last, you know, summer 2021, I think that was. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, it happens. I mean, you know, her, she she describes it slightly differently. She says race is an ideology. And I think the distinction is, uh, I don't know if you already, you know, went through this and discussed this, but, you know, it's a little different. If you say race is an ideology, I think she, you know, she's a Marxist and she sort of understands that to mean that it grows out of and reflects our actual material experience. So it's not as if it's just a figment of our imaginations. It's like something that comes out of how society actually works, right? Uh-huh. Um, and it's it totally, I think that's great that you've asked her and she's very, very low tech. This is something I know. And she's I'm, she's probably a bit intimidated even by like using Zoom or whatever. So it's totally makes sense if you've had trouble getting through to her. But I thought I would just mention that if you hadn't already uh, been exposed to that viewpoint. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if you, if there's anything else you want to say on that, but I don't want to take up more time if you only have an hour. Um, but I thought I would let, uh, I thought I would let folks know. Um, I have a sort of insane announcement that's even a little unreal to me, which is that as of this moment, I am slated tomorrow night Tuesday evening, 7 p.m., I am slated to be the guest on the Katie Halper Show. Oh, wow. Because... Terrific. <laughs> yeah, I um, you know, I have a history podcast and I have a listener who who likes it, who has worked closely with Katie and he suggested it to her. It wasn't even my idea. He said, how about doing a year in review to discuss like events of the year in historical context on the Katie Halper show. So that is the plan. Well, that's terrific. Everyone should definitely tune in and give that a listen. Samuel, what a, what a boon, you know, Katie's my, my number one favorite OG content creator. I think that was only through Katie Halper that I discovered. No, I heard Katie Halper on Rania Kollek's podcast. I don't know how I came across it, but that was my first introduction mm. to left podcasting world. And I adore her and I, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say over there. Thanks for letting us know, Samuel. Thank you. All right. And keep happy holidays. Here. Happy holidays. All right, Chris, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, what's up? I'm doing all right. That's good. What's up with you? Uh, nothing. I'm cooking. I'm in the middle of cooking right now. What do you make? Uh, um, so I was supposed to cook yesterday, though, but I really didn't feel like it. So I was like, I'm cooking with killing. But um, I'm making some rotisserie chicken, some mm. steamed mussels. Uh, crab cakes. Uh, I'm gonna do some macaroni and cheese. I saw that I had mushrooms in my refrigerator, so now I'm just gonna do. uh, So I'm just gonna do something with those, and then I think my mom is gonna make like some collard greens or something like that. Um, I'm sorry. What is the occasion for this feast? It sounds fully like you're two. You're two dishes short of a full-on Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) Well, I was supposed to cook yesterday, so and that was like like a Christmas thing because my mom. Wanted to do something just for her house, though, but I ended up not feeling like it. And then it got like around four o'clock and I didn't have like evaporated milk and then everything was closed down. So I was like, oh, well, you know, I can't make macaroni and cheese, so I can't cook. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so but we had family have something over. So that was like, yeah, I didn't really see too much of a point of it. But I'm just trying to get to clear on my refrigerator, literally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom this morning, she made a couple of quiches and she was literally kicking herself because she's like, I have mushrooms in the refrigerator I was supposed to get rid of. I should have thrown them in the quiche. Why does everybody <laughs> have a sur- surplus of mushrooms that they feel like they have to get rid of? You know what? Because like mushrooms are like, I don't know, they're like a, actually, are they a side? Uh, like, what are they? They just kind of just there. Yeah. Like, you never just go think, I'm going to make a mushroom dish. Like, right. it's very come across it so it's it's one of them things where you see it he's like oh you know when i do something maybe i can add mushrooms to it and then you probably don't do it or forget about it and then it's just randomly just sitting in your refrigerator and you're just like oh shit i got these and they don't need to go yeah i'm I'm sure there's some vegetarians in the chat about to go wild like (laughs) what are you talking about we have mushroom dishes all the time but 
exactly. outside yeah, of like yeah, a yeah, corner, yeah. you know, sandwich or uh, some situation like that. Those little, you know, the little regular button mushrooms that are in the fridge. That's literally what I have. Little baby mu- bell, uh, bella mushrooms. Yeah, like, like right, nobody's really fiending for those. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody is like fantasizing about that. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's the yeah. thing my mom used to put in the spaghetti recipe that made me so upset. Like, <laughs> <laughs> was she like mushrooms unwanted and intruder in so yeah. many things. <laughs> yeah, well, you know your spaghetti recipe is just you throwing up whatever you have in your refrigerator because like we used to just be like strictly like noodles and ground beef and then like mm-hmm. obviously like the tomato sauce but then mm-hmm. we came across people who put like sausage in their stuff so I, that was like new and then it was like oh, oh yeah we do good. sausage yeah yeah meat uh they do meat we do sausage and then yeah maybe like i never had someone put mushrooms in them but they just throw like a bunch of stuff in it no my mother meat. would put big chunks Oof, i hated it big chunks of those mushrooms she would put big chunks of green peppers like bell peppers mm-hmm. in there and yeah. she would make it she would use these healthy this was back in the day like before we had whole foods and health stuff she had mm-hmm. these buckwheat noodles she used to make that were like not hitting and they would <laughs> absorb all of the sauce so it felt like it was dry <laughs> I, I i grew up thinking i hated spaghetti because my mother tried to make it basically into some kind of salad and what's for dinner and she'd be like spaghetti and i'd be like I guess I'll just have the slice of bread on the side because I hate it. I hate spaghetti. <laughs> and I remember the day I realized that I didn't hate spaghetti. My brother had this friend when we were growing up in Kenya um, named Frankie Martin. Frankie Martin's mom, they were Italian-American. And Frankie mm-hmm. went up to their house one day and Frankie Martin's mom made some homemade spaghetti, a homemade mm-hmm. sauce. And my whole life changed. <laughs> my head pivoted around. Yep. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I used to. I'm kind of spaghettied out, so I'm not like a big fan of it anymore. But that's because we ate it so much as a kid. Like that was like the thing: spaghetti, pork chops, fried pork chops, and gravy. And then, um, what else did she used to always make? We weren't really big fried chicken people at our house and everything like mm-hmm. that. That didn't really start coming till later. But yeah, um, we she'd do like baked chicken and things like that. But it was the main staple was always spaghetti. So I kind of grew out of it. Yeah, yeah. It, well, look, I'm it, glad you're you're at the stove, like getting your cooking <laughs> in, helping out your mom. It's very kind of you. What mm-hmm. what's on your mind tonight as you are um getting your chef boy or D on? Chef Boyardee, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask you: Have you finished the uh, Wednesday episode uh, uh, series? You know, I have. You guys, you I'm have? a compulsive viewer. If I start oh, okay. something, it's over within like forty-eight hours. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> so, are you and Robbie going to team up and do do a call-in show? You know what's so funny? We recorded. We've been trying to do more. Um, what do you call them? Uh, the shorts on YouTube because we've got yeah. advice from YouTube. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen So that. we recorded one. Last Monday, Robbie and I both showed up to the studio wearing all black and we joked that we looked like we were in Wednesday. And then when the producers uh-huh. came and had us re- try to make it record like us doing a little Wednesday dance for a second. And apparently there were some technical issues so it never got posted, but Oh, I would have loved best. to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I would have you and Robbie trying to do the Wednesday dance. Oh my gosh, that would have been fun. Reshoot it, reshoot it. You know, take a couple shots and everything. That way you can loosen y'all moose and everything so it won't be so stiff. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. We'll do a little more practicing and try again next week. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, I remember y'all talking. It's like, yeah, maybe we should do something. I was like, yeah, be like, uh, just like how y'all did the Game of Thrones because that was like mm-hmm. fun. Uh, the Game of Thrones, like shit talking and everything with Orlani and y'all, it was cool. So. Yeah, let me let me ask Robbie and see if he's down to come back on and do a call in. I think that could be fun. And I owe you guys an extra call in because of the skit. So maybe exactly we can do something unrelated to an episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your favorite episode before? Uh... My favorite episode of Wednesday. It's okay to say the fourth one when she was doing a dance because that was my favorite. I mean, that's so funny. So I I never liked the Starbucks boyfriend. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not spoiling anything. I don't want to spoil just, it. Yeah, I don't want to spoil things. I never but liked yeah. him. Yeah, he was like, yeah. But the other guy was like kind of like a, I, I, I get, he, he's a guy that girls typically wouldn't date. That's what I'll say. 
he's like the I, nice guy. He's the nice guy with the problems and the sorrows, and you know the movies and everyone try to make it seem like this guy is like the whole catch to know, you know, and like always in the movies it's like, oh, this guy ends up with the girl, but in real life that doesn't happen. Yes. And I think I'm glad Wednesday was like, yeah, no, you're not yes. at all. So, so he went to that dance with Starbucks guy. So my uh-huh. thing was like Starbucks. I don't know if you watch the Gilmore Girls, but Scar- Starbucks guy was like giving Rory's first boyfriend. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I've never seen. Yeah. And the the guy from school is giving Milo Vigorilla, whatever his last name is. I'm so sorry, but Jesse from Je- Jess from Gilmore Girls, who I mm-hmm. much preferred, and who was edgy and dark and interesting, and he liked to read, and he had a little denim jacket situation going on. And I was always <laughs> here for Jesse over Dean. Sorry, that was her first corny boyfriend. He he also worked in the convenience store. He was like uh-huh. he was like nice and sweet and he was hardworking and like blah blah blah. But he was like yep. not interesting and was like not At liking all. her for who she was. Mm-hmm. So I so I said all, all that just to say that the reason that I wasn't as interested in that that formal event episode is because she went with him. And so I was mm-hmm. never that invested in their relationship. <laughs> yeah, I like, it, I like the reveals. I like any any time that we're talking to um, Brienne of Tarth. Yes, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked the drama as it was unfolding with the psychologist and trying to figure out who exactly was nefarious and whether or not Brienne of Tarth was a bad guy or a good guy. I kind well, I kind of figured it out a little bit early, so I kind of figured out like uh, the one dude. I was like, yeah. I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna spoil it, but yeah, I kind of figured out like who were the nefarious people and who weren't because I I felt like their characters were so like like it was kind of like to the point like you could kind of like read it and it was like yeah no nah, this is just too good or this is too thing like even when um homeboy uh when he he was like dirty mac and he told uh, uh Wednesday that uh hey this guy and his friends jumped me yeah yeah like when he did that yeah. I was like. Yeah, and I was like, and then his excuse was like, oh, you know, I'm just one of those guys, you know, I was like, um, I was peer pressured and, you right. know, I don't know what I did. I was like, yeah, that's, a, I'm sorry, that's a tell. Like, come on, right. that was like one of the bigger tells to me. So I saw so once that had that scene happened, I'm like, oh, you, you're full of shit. Like, come on, man. You were just fucking with the dude to fuck with him. So, but yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I will say that I think that the, 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 the intrigue started off stronger in the beginning because I thought there was going to be more about that, mis- the mystery of the kid that got disappeared yeah you know, the kid who saw get killed in the forest but then he wasn't dead and like all of that like i liked it when the locus of the mystery was more what was happening in this school community mm-hmm. and like the world building of like everyone knows that there's mystical people in the school in town and everyone's just kind of chill with it like yep. that—that was more interesting to me than like what was happening in some of the later episodes. So I confess, I kind of breezed through the end of it out of a sense of duty. That's crazy because I—I was like the complete opposite. Like I remember the first episode, and then I remember falling asleep, and then I got to the fourth episode, and I was like, "Oh snap, this is good." So then I went back, and then came to kind of like full circle and everything like that. So yeah, but I was kind of like I kind of appreciated, I guess, the end a little bit more, especially the episode with like where you actually go in with like Gomez and Tish and their whole history there at the school and stuff like that. I thought mm-hmm. that yeah, I do. I like that, but like I like I like the secret society, like finding all of that. But that all happened in the earlier episodes, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was all this mystery, but then suddenly like nobody cares about the secret society staying secret. They're like, just let the, the wolf roommate just fall <laughs> down and they're just telling yeah. everybody. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like so much of a secret <laughs> society then, like you're blowing up all your mystery. I also just, so that my friend who made me the latkes, he was saying that he felt like he, you know, we're 90s, you know, we're like 80s babies. So we feel like the tone shift from the original, it takes some getting used to from the 90s versions takes a little bit of getting used to. Yeah. I I gotta say, I like, what's her name? Um, Edna? uh, Christina Ricci? No, no, no. The, the mom, um, Who's married Fish. to Douglas? Oh, Catherine Zeta Jones. Catherine Zeta Jones. Yeah. I like Catherine Zeta Jones. Like, I was here for Zorro. Like, I like her. Yeah. This is like no shade to her, but I really feel like all of the intrigue was just stripped from the parents' characters. Like, yeah, that's I actually a criticism I've been reading a lot. Yeah, she's. I know she's not Angelica Houston. No one can expect her to be Angelica Houston. I know mm. that what's his face, the father. Like, I'm not even going to get into him. 
But like, I, I would <laughs> rather them not be on screen because it's just so disappointing that they're not they're 90s versions of those characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, yeah, yeah, because I kind of agree. But they didn't really highlight the family, which I actually thought to me was kind of like a good thing because it's one thing that you're you're hinting on. It's like, could Catherine Zeta Jones and then that fat guy? Could they really play off Tish and Gomez as really well? I thought mm-hmm. Uncle Fester, like I like the new version of like Uncle Fester and everything. Like I thought he was pretty cool and everything though. But well, they they say the next season they're going to be a little bit more involved as far as like the the family and everything like that. So you know, yeah. So in the in the '90s movies, there's the one, there's the first one, and the second one. Wednesday is off at camp for most of the movie, but they still yeah yeah establish yep. the home, the environment, the plot mm-hmm. with. That was with the crazy girlfriend, right? Fester's yeah, crazy what's, girlfriend. What's her yep. name? Uh, the Bernie Bros sister. Oh my God, what's her name? Y'all. Oh my God, her, Ron. Someone her brother is a Bernie bro. What am I doing this? <laughs> Why is this so hard for me? Joan Cusack. Thank you, Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was excellent, and like that's part of the world building is understanding where Wednesday came from, and mm-hmm. also they, they they started this thing with Wednesday and her mom having this tense relationship. And, like, mm-hmm. I'm interested in that, but, like, I don't fully understand it. Hmm. And I and I wish they had maybe done more. Maybe she goes home for a vacation. Maybe we get a little bit more backstory into when. To where, know, yeah. Where that like antagonism a... comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could just be, you know, Wednesday being a teenage girl and trying to figure out her, like, her emotions and, like, how she fits in, like, a normal setting outside of her house. Because I think that's the thing I kind of appreciated a little bit more about the show is, like, you took Wednesday Adams and then you put her in this like world and you just see how she responds to it. And I think um, the girl, Jenna, um, Jenna Ortega, who's getting like all the love in the world now, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she's, um, she was in you too. I don't know if you ever watched that show. And what? That's What's the, the one show? The, it's called you. It's the one with the crazy. Oh man. The, 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 uh, women love this show. It's the guy, the, the stalker boyfriend who like stalks all these girls. And oh, stuff like that. she was in you yeah. like Y-O-U. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, you. Yeah, she, she was, was in you. She seems too young to have been in you. Oh, she was the little girl who got. Yes, uh, she was the girl. Yep, mm-hmm. the little sister. The little yep. sister. Yeah, with the creepy dude, with the uh, the dude who actually played himself in the, yeah, in the show. Because it, <laughs> yeah, Brandon Lilla. Yeah, because it, 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 it yeah. IRL. Yeah, yeah what yeah, happened to him? Like well, obviously, he disappeared off the face of the earth once he realized. Right, he was right, that, right. That character. Oh, I didn't realize <laughs> that was her. Yep, that's Jennifer job. I, I, I like the casting. I think she did a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, I support I support all of that. So we'll see what we'll see what happens in season two. I should probably push through because we don't have much time on this call. Oh yeah, got you. I've, yeah, I've enjoyed gotcha. this frolic and detour. All right. See ya. All right. Bye, Chris. Take care. I, I hope dinner's good. <laughs> Keep it. Uh Eric, how you doing? I am doing good. Um, so pretty much it's funny that you actually guys brought up Wednesday, uh, because I just have one of my interesting takes is I don't like that series as much as a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. I, I don't like it because to me, one, the fact that they took Wednesday and gave her such an antagonistic relationship with her parents mm-hmm. kind of distorted the character of Wednesday for me. Because to me, what makes the Adams family interesting is that they're this weird unorthodox family but Mm -hmm. it works Mm -hmm. so when you make it not work it just kind of just throws me off i think general Mm -hmm. Ortega was a great wednesday Mm -hmm. and i think to me her portrayal of wednesday is what saved the series for me i just thought like oh really i i I like that aspect of the adam family that they're a weird family but it's work you get a little bit when they introduce fester so i did Mm -hmm. like that and i love thing thing is like one of my favorite characters her interactions with Thing, I thought yeah, was Thing, fantastic. Yeah, Thing was great. The hand actor is doing a great job. Mm. And I agree. Like, it, it's the same with Shit's Creek. Like, part of the charm is that the parents really love each other a lot, despite all of the dysfunction that's going on around them and them being kind of not likable characters in other ways. And that's so unusual because the sitcom trope is that the parents always hate each other and they resent mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, the parents still love each other. So, you know, there's that. But I I do agree that there's a little, like, I'm not mad that they tried something new. I just want them to have developed it. And they didn't seem to be that interested in that human drama 
they just threw it in there and then didn't do anything with it. But yeah, I completely agree. But the thing I really want to talk to you about was, um, seeing how you know, I'm a movie guy. Um, so I just got done watching some, you know, podcast talking about, you know, the potential Oscar, you know, best movie. So I just wanted to know, do you have like a best movie that you've seen this year? Okay. The best movie I've seen this year, I think is not, it was, came out last year. So it would have been that Oscar season and it is pig with Nicolas Cage. And I will not be apologizing for that opinion. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, that's a, I liked pig. I thought pig was very well done. I'm a big fan yes. of pig. But for me this year, I, I mean, it's definitely going around. It looked like it's May. It's probably going to get the nomination, at least. Um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I'm not sure if you saw it yet, but it's a yes. fantastic movie. I love yes. it. It is my favorite movie this year. I I want them to win everything. I love Michelle Yeoh. is like one of my favorite actresses. I've been watching love her. Since, you know, her old school kung fu movie that she used to do in China. So yes. I'm hoping she wins. I'm hoping that uh, the guy who, because he was like, K, K. Kwan, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He played the father. Uh-huh. He was but excellent. He, yeah, he was short round in Indiana Jones and Data in The Goonies. Oh, I heard. I Someone said that to me. I had no idea. I knew he was acting his butt off when he showed up in that version of the future at some point they were in after they were at the opera or something, and he cleaned up and looked all fine in that suit. I was like, okay, he is playing <laughs> roles right now. He is doing characters. Because he is a whole new man right now standing here with his tuxedo on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, because I really, really I mean, it's so funny because I know sometimes he talks about those two characters and he talks about like, you know, Asian tropes of getting stuck mm-hmm. in those two characters. I always find it interesting how like for me, cause, you know, I'm black, a black guy. Mm-hmm. I love like that is like I wanted to be that because that was me. I was, you know, the kid trying to fix things and interested in, like, science and machinery and all that mm-hmm. type of stuff. So I related so much to that character. So for me, it was like, oh, that is my favorite Goonie character. That's who I wanted to be. That was the best character. Mm-hmm. But um, one, of the, I'm not sure if you saw this. One of the things that I'm realizing, because I'm, I'm trying to get through, you know, what's looking like going to be, like, the big in the conversation for the Oscars when it comes to this, the movies, the best movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm doing a pretty good job. I got a couple more that I have to see. But I was hoping this movie wouldn't be mentioned. Elvis, I did not like Elvis. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an editing mess. Mm-hmm. I thought Austin Butler did a very good job of portraying Elvis. Mm-hmm. But it took me like four days to get through that movie. I don't know why people like it. I think there's, I can name five other movies way better than that. That deserve, and fit, and that deserve to be nominated. And the other movie that's looking like it's definitely going to get a nomination is probably going to be in contention to win. That I, I'm a little, I'm not as off of an Elvis, but I, Elvis, but I am a little bit off on. It's The Fableman, which is um, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg's new movie. That's mm-hmm. like semi-autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I don't think that movie is as profound as some people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been wanting to see the Fablemans more out of sense of obligation than anything else. Although I do love Steven Spielberg, like I do love Steven Spielberg movies, but I have heard like the previews to me seem like it's more about the idea of a movie without like substance being there. And even though I know this doesn't make a lot of sense, but I I think that Michelle Williams seems like a really lovely person, but I find her to be so disinteresting on the screen. Oh, I, I hate not her performance. Seeing her in this movie, sorry. I hate her performance. I hate it. Hate yeah, and I, I, I don't know. Isn't this all about a Jewish family? Yes. Why do they keep casting these goys? Like, I'm sorry. This is like my tip of my shoulder. I know I'm projecting all my <laughs> black business onto this, and maybe I, I'm, I don't mean to speak for my Jewish community friends. Like, maybe y'all don't care, but it is distracting. Why do they keep doing this? They did it with Claire Danes in this other in this um show with uh, Jesse Eisenberg that I'm watching right now too, and it's like I love Claire Danes and I think she's doing a good job in the show, but it's like I don't I don't get it I don't get it. Anyway, oh. so I I want to see that I haven't seen it yet, and I also um, agree with everything everywhere all at once. I heard that the the daughter um, got like snubbed. Is that right? Um, she got snubbed in. But she got, like, if you're talking about what I'm thinking, she got snubbed in some pointless gold. No one cares about the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes mean nothing. Oh, okay. All right. That's well, what she I got snubbed. I don't care Steph- about it. Just, uh, <laughs> Stephanie Sue. I think that Stephanie she was Sue. extraordinary. I heard it was something like Jamie Lee Curtis got best supporting instead of her. That's, listen, I love Jamie Lee Curtis, but yeah. 
she should be getting Best Supporting Actress. Yeah, Stephanie I agree. I, nope. I agree. And then you said some other movie. Oh, I completely agree with Re Elvis. I saw it at a drive through over the summer, and it was the, the fact of it being a drive through made it fun. <laughs> but it was long. I agree that the performance was very good, but the Boz Lerman of it all was all over the place. Yes. And like, it, I didn't care about anything that was happening because you, they, they spent, there was like very little dialogue for the length of the movie and very little character building. And yeah, it was. Mm, and I think mm, what really is upsetting me about it is, especially with Elvis, is the fact that when you have a movie like The Woman King out there, when mm. you have a movie like, I don't, I mean, this is, yes, The Batman. The Batman is an amazing movie. Even if, even if you're not comic books, it's not your taste. It's a really good movie. When you got The Whale, which is fantastic. I, and I really don't, I'm not is sure if you saw good? The Whale. I saw I saw everyone coming out saying it was great and we all love Brendan Fraser's comeback and we all support him. And then I saw another wave of reviews after that that was like, people are basically, this is like, like Oscar bait. People just think it's a good performance because, you know, anytime anybody plays somebody with like any kind of like physical limitation, et cetera, then you, you just, it just, you know, it, it's like kind of a superficial sympathy grab and that it actually wasn't that good. And it was almost insulting to obese people and people who are struggling with weight issues. Did you not agree? Like, what? Do you, what's your take? I did not agree with that. I do not understand. Like, I first, one of the things I understand about myself and my personality, I am not as sensitive as a lot of people. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that's a good thing, not saying that's a bad thing. I do not understand that. So I know some reviews thought that Brendan Fraser and The Whale was exploiting the idea of obese people, morbidly obese people, going particularly people going through some psychological and mental um, issues that's causing this. But to me, the movie is not simply about, it's about the mental illness attached to his morbid obese. It's about a lot of different things to me, which makes it a unique. It's about him as a father. Mm-hmm. Being an absentee father, trying to reconnect to his daughter because he has, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a reason he has to reconnect. And it's about, you know, his best, ooh, oh, the, there's an Asian woman who plays his best friend in there mm-hmm. who also is fantastic. She's also in The Menu, which is another really good movie. And it's about, you know, the person who enables the condition because of their own issues and trauma. It's about, you know him as a father and him trying to reconnect to his, uh, you know, his estranged daughter. And it's also is about him and this eating disorder, which is an eating disorder. And I mm-hmm. don't, cause some people was like, and you know, he as Brendan Fraser is a person who dealt with weight issues. So he understands, you know, coming from being very fit at one point in time yeah. and then ballooning up. And then he lost a lot of weight, but he understands that. And that to me, if this is exploitative, then all movies is exploitative. Yeah, I I don't see it. Yeah, I think it might be worth. I I will take. I will. I will. I will fall on the sword of watching all these movies and maybe doing an Oscar episode um, to discuss because I I think there's a lot of good stuff out there. I don't always actually want to watch all of these, but pretty much everything you've mentioned is on my list. So I appreciate you calling in, Eric. I'm gonna try to get through a few more people since we don't have a lot of time tonight. Okay, you have a good one. You too. Keep the faith and thanks for for. Uh, a little pop culture frolic and detour again. What's on your mind tonight, Grace? Hey. Uh, well, first of all, I just did karaoke last week. Um, oh, yeah? What's your go-to song? Well, I did Slip Sliding Away, Paul Simon, which that was kind of a downer, but I've been really feeling <laughs> the, the, the vibes of it lately. Mm. Um, and then I did All American Rejects, Gives You Hell, which was a real cl- crowd Oh, pleaser. that's fun. Yeah. Um, and also, ooh, to Fred Armisen as Uncle Fester. Uh, Not a big fan. His, his weird voice. I was like, what is happening? It was, I'm <laughs> such, a, Adam Family Values is like my favorite, one of my top favorite movies of all time. So it's a lot to live up to. Um, yeah. It's but, hard. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard. It's hard when you have something so beloved. But I think Wednesday, she did a great job. Um, she did. But I... I have something a little more in line with last week's episode. I'm, I didn't realize you didn't do a call-in after that because I thought I missed it. Um, I really appreciated him calling out the cop city in um, Atlanta that's going mm-hmm. on right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that might be a super interesting episode for you. Um, mm-hmm. 
But I was wondering if I could take a minute to like call out something legally that's going on in my community to spread awareness about it. Um, So they just actually dropped the next uh, statement. But a year ago on Christmas Day, six people were arrested for trespassing, including two journalists after um, a protest about like homeless camp evictions in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, the committee to protect journalists put out a statement in support of those journalists, but then, so that, you know, those people, if they stayed on the premises, basically they were in a public park, they got arrested for trespassing. But then after that, the cops proceeded in the following three months to arrest 16 other people on a charge of felony littering. Um, wow. Which is just made up nonsense. I mean, that charge is used for like businesses dumping waste. Um, felony littering. Felony littering. Um, and, you know, it, to me, it's just a direct, you know, attack on free speech. And then they, without any of them having been convicted, none of them have gone to trial. Their trial date is probably going to be set in, uh, in January. Um, without any of them being convicted, they got banned from all city parks. Um, which was like, these people were involved in mutual aid. So it was like the only place to get hot meals on the weekends in Asheville. Um, So they like effectively, you know, were disrupting the community care that was going on. Um, And there are three of the defendants that are still looking for lawyers who can handle like a felony, um, a felony trial. Remind Um, me where this is? Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and like locally, we don't have a ton of options. Um, and yeah, it's just been kind of tricky. Um, we've reached out to the ACLU in terms, and I think that they may be interested in the park ban aspect, um, of things, but I just thought, you know, there's other people listening. Maybe they could be a source for that. Um, yeah. So they, they set up, they had a community art build in the park. Uh-huh. And that's what they're describing as this littering. As felony littering, yeah. They claim this it was, they claim it was like $2,600 $2, $2, in cleanup for the city. But then, like, obviously they've spent a year banning people from the parks, prosecuting people on, like, with felonies, they they offered them a plea, but they said no. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, do is it likely that the, the ACLU is going to Well, I think the ACLU may be interested in the park ban aspect, but I think we may need someone else for because I mean, my dreams would be like then we just sue the city for you know for infringing on like free speech by making up false charges. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, they have to get really serious. I mean, the, the takeaway of the Dawson episode really has to be like, you have to get serious about pushing back against these ratchet penalties for protesting. It, and you're right, right. It's, it's, it's fundamentally a speech issue, and that's maybe something to do with our about trying to connect those interests with your audience. Because it it's, this stuff isn't going anywhere, and they know this is our last recourse to actually do anything. About the climate crisis, which obviously no political party is actually going to do anything about, no major political party is going to do anything about, and they're just going to throw the right. two-year penalty on a maximum two-year um, incarceration penalty on fe- um, felony littering. Yeah, I mean the fines are that high in the grand scheme of things, but the the criminal penalty, the the possibility of incarceration is significant. Yeah, I mean it's like. And, like, we just couldn't even believe it. I mean, and they targeted, I mean, they heavily surveilled the mutual aid program. I mean, they were, tar- they're just targeting mutual aid. <laughs> um, and they don't want anybody to speak up against it. And Asheville is, like, top, you know, travel destination everywhere you go. Like, you know, they were spending millions and millions on advertising as this, like, progressive bohemian city, you know. Um and so this, like, it goes directly against, like, the values that they, they say that they're going to put out. And they, um, the only thing that Asheville cares about that I can tell is, like, pressure from the outside. Because in 2020, they made international news after these cops, like, stabbed water bottles and destroyed this medic tent during the protests. Um, 
And then, you know, once they literally made international news, then they started to care about it. So my, I've been like working on the press side of things. Um, and there's going to be more to come out, but the, you can follow on, um, Instagram. It's at AVL survival is where they just, they just dropped their latest statement about this. Um, and, um, and then my, my Instagram and TikTok is, is the, the grace beyond, um, like the REM song, but with my name, um, instead of great. <laughs> and, and, um, well, cause I started posting on TikTok about some of the other, like we have like a cop who is being, um, he's being sued for overseeing a sex trafficking ring in Virginia and he's the deputy chief of police. Um, and so I, I started posting about it on TikTok. I don't even know like what I'm doing on TikTok, but it's been getting a lot of views, I think. I mean, maybe not relative to the, the scope of TikTok, but I thought maybe that would be a way to get the word out because, and if you have any like publications too that you think would be interested in a story like that, because I'm like, I've created kind of like a press list. Um, I mean, current affairs, I think is very hungry for stories like that, especially if you are able to write it. Okay. That's the case. Um, The Intercept might also be interested. I mean, I haven't haven't been there in a while, but um, do you have, do you, uh, trying to figure out the best way to to get in touch with me? Wait, what is your, what is your Twitter again? My Twitter, I think. Sorry, sorry. I'm like, I have it. I have a Twitter only because of city politics, but it's, it's at, I think it's tweets underscore grace. Yeah. Just because that's the, the inbox that I'm like most likely to check regularly Twitter for. So I just followed you there. If you want to be in touch there and I can try to help facilitate getting in touch with one of those publications. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just like, I feel like once we lose the right to protest, you know, what what do we have left? <laughs> it's, it's very serious. It's very serious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that, Grace. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Keep the faith. Bye. Bye. Jonathan, I think you're going to close this out this evening. How have you been? What's in your mind? Well, uh, my brain isn't firing on all cylinders today, but uh, oh yeah, yeah you got COVID. I saw on the internet. I'm so sorry. Uh, it's okay. It could be worse. I feel like that flu I had before the pandemic started was way worse than this. Really? But, um, yeah, I had, I had a lot of thoughts about, uh, you know, the episode and the connecting tissue between that and other things that were going on at the same time. Um, you know, including the Nepo babies article and, um, you know, the, uh, that Twitter space that Rose McGowan did, which if you haven't heard that, I recommend listening to the recording. That was fabulous content. She has a very strong, uh, like she's extremely intelligent. She has a very strong structural analysis of mm-hmm. uh, basically what she's up against and and how uh, these networks of power work. But it kind of brought to mind like C. Wright Mills' uh, concept of uh, of interlocking directorates because I, I firmly believe that what he calls the power elite is the same thing as Claire Matei calls the capital order. Mm-hmm. And, you know, essentially just the way these things work, I feel like that Nepo Babies article gave just a little glimpse into, and even you mentioned on your episode, oh, Chuck Schumer, Amy Schumer's uncle, you know, a little yeah. Nepo Babies reference there. But, you know, the, the, the reason why these people don't have to be in a smoke-filled room conspiring, although that happens occasionally, uh, is just the fact that they have, A, this tremendous sense of class solidarity, and B, these kind of networks of these um, interlocking directors, these incestuous relationships. I think there was a part of the Nepo Babies article where they talked about people in politics transferring over to acting or in acting transferring over to right. music or in music transferring over to acting. Right. And just the networks of relationships that these people had, you know, their friends, their family, their, um, you know, I went to school with this person mm-hmm. or, you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, I think we need to take a sober look at basically 
what would have to be broken through because essentially what we're facing with a, a lot of these uh, structures of power that we're opposed to is an extraordinarily well-defended fortress. And, um, you know, just like knowing these dynamics is, is important. And, you know, like I said, I think you, you did a good job touching on that in the Donzinger interview when you were talking about um, essentially just all the ways that the, the system is rigged against democracy and how a lot of these things are, are kind of a sham and how separation of powers really only works when you're on this end trying to stop something bad. But if you're somebody powerful, there's no separation of powers. You know, there's people that have a toe in state governments and national governments and local governments uh, that are pulling the strings on all these things. So yeah. Yeah, I think what you covered was extremely important there. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I'm glad to hear you say that, Jonathan. It's, it can be kind of overwhelming, to be honest. I mean, I said it a million times. That corporate law class was the most radicalizing experience of my academic life, for sure. And precisely because it was so <laughs> bleak and it was so rare to get a refreshing leftist professor in that discipline in, in particular, because, you know, so many of us kind of self-select into the humanities and we, we sense, um, you know, we, we sense the way that certain fields are more conservative leaning and we tend to avoid them. And I'm so grateful for this professor who, you know, I think kind of snuck into a conservative field and conservative department by leaning into being a law and economics professor but instead of being like most law and economics professors and being devotees of kind of traditional economics is a Marxist and was able to fly under the radar long enough to get one of these jobs. As much as everyone wants to say that these institutions, Harvard and whatnot, are these flaming liberal institutions, we all know that goes no farther than some superficial cultural politics and barely even that, to be honest. Um, so well, it's kind of I, funny. Sometimes they hire yeah. these people on purpose, almost as a joke. Because or, you know, almost for their because they do have unique skill sets and their model tends to be more predictive. I think Michael Hudson uh, was telling the story, you know, both in our like he was telling it to me in, in one of our little RP live seminars. But I think he also told the same story to Katie Halper on Useful Idiots um, that basically for a while, like the conservative Hudson Institute, no relation, hired him to work there. And basically he was describing, oh, this is you know, the horrible things they're doing with imperialism and so on and so forth. And these guys at this think tank are looking at that. Oh, so that's how you do an imperialism. What a great mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. And like, they're taking it like it's a good thing when he was like, this on its face is bad. We shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, they're like, oh, this is good. You know, excellent. We're going to incorporate that into our whatever. And that's why he stopped working there. But, but you know, sometimes that does happen. So I guess we should, uh, count ourselves lucky that you managed to cross paths with that professor. <laughs> I, I count myself lucky for that every day. But I hope you're getting some real rest, Jonathan. You know, all those articles have been saying that people with COVID, they've been like online and like thinking that just not being out is resting, but that resting actually means unplugging and like truly turning your brain off and sleeping and stuff. I slept most of the day, but I, there, I can't stay away from Twitter all the time. Like I am an addict and there was a time when my account got suspended for a few days where I literally went through argument withdrawals and like I was fiending and I was trying to pick fights with people on Facebook. And eventually I created an alt account so I could uh, do battle with some of the, uh, you know, Shibu Inu Twitter guys, I guess. Well, look, Jonathan, when I got had COVID, a friend sent me a Lego set. And I listened to music or listened to podcasts and did Legos. And it was truly zen. And I also got um, this Lego set for Christmas that I've been really wanting, which is like a vintage typewriter Lego. And I plan to decompress when I get home by doing that and trying not to also do political things at the same time. So I strongly recommend that if possible. I will give that a try. <laughs> All right. Take care of yourself. We need you out in these streets again, Jonathan, in these Twitter streets and otherwise. <laughs> all right. Have a good rest of your vacation in Cleveland. Thank you. And thank you to all, all of you for calling in and being patient with me as this podcast schedule is a little bit all over the place. I will be returning to normal as of Thursday. I will see you then. 
and for the call-in afterward. And like I said, I've taken this little break to try to line up some good stuff for you coming up. Apologies also for this short for me call-in. You know, I like to do a three-hour marathon, but I will have lots to say about the new Whitney Houston movie as a consequence of me cutting it short today. So I hope it will be worth the brevity. Take care of yourselves. Happy holidays and keep the faith. When you see my face, hope I give you hell, hope I give you hell. When you walk my way, hope I give you hell, hope I give you hell. The where's your picket fence, love? The where's that shiny car? Do you know where you are?